Hello, and welcome to On the Shelf, A Writer Reads. I'm your host, Rachel A. Brune, and before I was an author and a publisher, I was a reader. Join me every week as I share what I'm reading, chat with other authors about their new releases, and make progress towards my Goodreads reading challenge. Grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and let's talk about what's on the shelf. To reread or to read? That is the question. Welcome to On the Shelf. I'm your host, Rachel Brune. And this week, I have been going through my shelves. One of the reasons for that was we are, like I said on a couple of previous episodes, we are planning to move. And before each move, I always want to make sure that I am taking all of the books that I want to keep and none of the books that I don't want to keep. So at some point, I'm going to be heading over to the used bookstore or to the library with a big pile of books and just, uh, actually, I'll probably come back from the bookstore or the library with another big pile of books, which again leads me to this question of rereading. I was working on a blog post yesterday And it was for the Misfit Toys, which is a Facebook group for fans of Falstaff books. And uh, I was, I wanted to talk about some of the influences and some of the books that I had been reading for uh, either inspiration or information. Like I said last week, if I am interested in learning more about something, the first thing I'm going to do is go get myself a big pile of books and, and read them. The pile of books that I have for research for the Rick Keller project is was never small and it continues to grow. And part of those books were werewolf myths and legends. Um, there was a book called The Warwolf written by Hermann Lons in the early 20th century that took as its background the Thirty Years' War, and it was uh, kind of like a peasant farmer who became an insurgent during that time period. And that hit a lot of the themes in the in the series that I'm writing. And so I was like, all right, let me grab that. And then there was a couple of other ones. One of them was a book on insurgents and uh, in... Lithuania, I believe. It was in Eastern Europe. And and as I was writing this blog post, I was realizing that everything that I read is connected. And sometimes when I go back to reread, there are things that I see that I didn't see before, particularly when I'm outlining and plotting a novel. So writing this blog post and then looking at my shelves for the books that I left out of the post gave me a whole bunch of ideas to go back and continue outlining the expansion of the third book, which is what I'm working on now. And I, and I really would love to sit down and reread a bunch of these books. I just do not have the time. Um, And I'm wondering if potentially I should have maybe tried for a a lower number in the Goodreads reading challenge. Although I guess I probably could just reread a book and have it count towards the, you know, towards the total number. 
that wouldn't really be cheating because I'd be rereading it. But I did have a moment of, am I pushing myself towards a goal that is having the counterintuitive effect of causing me to not be have a chance to sit down and read the way I want? Yeah, <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm going to keep doing the Goodreads reading challenge and I'm going to keep diving into my research library and I'm going to keep picking up books so that I can read and be inspired. But at the same time, I, I'm also going to maybe think more on this question and, and maybe next year I won't do the Goodreads reading challenge, which would be the first time in a long time that I didn't do it. But you know, let me not say that now because it's still early in the year. Um, it's March, early in March. And so that's, yeah, let me, <laughs> let me not let current me become the past me who puts the future me who will then be the present me in a bind, which sounds, this is why I don't write time travel. <laughs> I enjoy reading it, but it still turns my head into knots. But anyway, um, so yeah, so this past week, I got a pretty nice book haul at Retcon. And so I came home with a stack of books. I got two books from Michael G. Williams, uh, Fall and Autumn, and then A New Life in Autumn. Uh, both of which I, the first one I had read, the second of which I had partially read. But I just wanted to get signed paperbacks because you never know when the next chance is that you're going to get to go see an author in person, especially an author friend of mine whose work I really, really enjoy. <clears throat> and also my voice is a little, <clears throat> it's a little scratchy because I spent most of the, <laughs> spent the entire weekend talking to people about books. And now uh, my voice is like, yes, that was a choice you made. <clears throat> uh, let me see. I also picked up a book um, the, of Mycelium and Men, and I'll, I'll put the author and title in the show notes. And that was, uh, I, I literally bought that book because the, the author was standing there and gave me a great pitch. And also the title was funny. And I will, I'm, I don't really have a high bar when it comes to buying books. I'll just, I'll just put that out there. You've probably figured that out if you've been listening to the show for a little while. But a great author pitch and a pun in the cover and a, a well-designed cover at that will definitely kind of move me more towards the, you know what, I think I do kind of need this uh, camp. <laughs> and so I got that. Um, and then I bought a few, a few more books. I have to, I have to double check, but I came home with a, with a pretty nice stack. Um, and so I'm looking forward to digging into those. If I were to say, yes, my last book haul, I totally read all of those as well. I would, I would be telling a lie and I don't want to do that, but uh, I had a good time at the con. I came home with a bunch of books, sold a bunch of books and am looking forward to maybe doing a little rereading, especially of the Michael G. Williams series. So it's been a really weird reading week, what with doing the con and looking at the books there and then reading mostly nonfiction when I wasn't working. Sometimes I think 
you get into a mini slump. And this is why, like kind of going back to my question at the beginning, this is kind of why I was thinking about whether I should maybe reread a series or reread a book that gets me motivated for reading. Maybe I need to go reread something to kind of get out of the slump. I don't know. Uh, I, I just don't want this, this little mini slump, this mini like meh about reading feeling to continue. So I don't know, maybe I will go grab one of the books that I picked up this weekend and flip through and see if one of those kind of gets me excited to read all the way through. Eh, you know, I, when I started this podcast, I felt like I might be putting too much pressure on my reading on myself as a reader and my reading habit. And I think that's maybe what's happening now. So I'm just going to give myself permission to find a book that I enjoy, whether it's one that's on my TBR pile or one that's on my bookshelf of things that I've read and loved. Um, Or maybe it will be the new release that my guest this week has out, which, uh, spoiler alert, I read the first chapter and it was really good. And now that I'm thinking about it, I, you know what, maybe I should go read that. But not right now. Right now, I am going to invite Patrick Dugan to come on and talk to me about his new release, Never Steal from Dragons. All right. So for this week on On the Shelf, A Writer Reads, we have guest Patrick Dugan, who is coming here to talk to us about his new release, Never Steal from Dragons. And by the way, I love that title. Uh, Patrick is the author of the award-winning Darkest Storm series published by Falstaff Books. Other titles include Never Steal from Dragons, the Shadowblade series, and Watchers of Astaria series from Distracted Dragon Press. Other publications include Fairy Films, We Folk on the Big Screen, a collection of fairy essays. Patrick is a member as of SFWA, Science Fiction Writers Association. Welcome, Patrick. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show. Hey, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So um, I wanted to get started right away with the new release. Like I said, I love this title, Never Steal from Dragons. It's immediately, I see that title, I'm like, I need to pick up this book. So can you talk a little bit about the title, about the book, and what we're getting into when we open it up? Absolutely. Um, so a little backstory. I read uh, Six of Crows a long time ago and absolutely loved it. Um, and I wanted to write my own heist book, but there was no way I was going up against um, Lee Barduga in the fantasy realm. So I said, um, yeah, I want to do a heist book, but not with fantasy. So um, I was kicking ideas around and I came up with Hub, which is the city on Harmony that houses all of the hidden people from around the world, uh, Earth, that left because it was getting too polluted here. So the basis of the story is uh, revolves around a team that is put together by a dragon. And um, the characters are uh, Gelsey, who's a pixie thief, Salai, who's a, a Kitsune con artist, Lorcan is a Nagulan mercenary, Akila is a 
I'm going to say the name wrong, the uh, Dragon Trader and Expert in Explosives. Kalthar is a Tenon Mage. And missing. oh, Nyx is my Elven Hacker. So they get pulled together to break into a fortress that has never been broken into before to steal a scroll back for this dragon. And as you can imagine, you know, they, they set the heist and then all hell breaks loose. So um, it is basically Ocean's Eleven with cyberpunk fairies. And then hijinks ensue. I love it. <laughs> it's a fun, fun book. So I'm really interested in the idea of uh, like this kind of genre blending where you have essentially a heist book, but in, but instead of just like your normal complications from human beings and what they do, um, instead you've got all of these different characters. How did you go about figuring out which hidden people you wanted to choose to be part of the team? So that's a really good question. So a couple things came into play. First of all, I wanted to be representative of world culture. So I didn't want to just go, which is why I didn't use the term fairy or fae, um, because that is northern, like really the UK version of um, their hidden people. So um, so I wanted to be representative. So I wanted um, to um, have different mythological creatures from varying parts of the world. So um, Nagula is a creature that the Dragon, I can never say that right, the Drohag are the, are, actually she's no dual. She is Nahadra. God, no wonder I can't say it right. Say the wrong word. Uh, she is Nahadra, which is an Egyptian myth mm -hmm. about a woman who beguiles men and then drowns them in the Nile. So what I did was um, I took and found like these really cool mythological creatures and then kept pixies and you know elves you know um to kind of round out the the mix and then i took what their folklore was and i realized like with anything you know they're usually good folklore there's a kernel of truth to so i would take one aspect of their myth and i would use that as the salient feature of them as a character not just a folklore so and even the other there's no there's no humans in the book at all um so even the other races that are in the book or in the world don't really know what each one does so like um my pixies um are about six centimeters tall but they can actually grow up to they can come up to like a four foot size so they have two sizes, but people think they're brownies if they see them in, in their larger size because their wings fold in. So, you know, so I had all these little kind of gotchas, uh, you know, so they're, you know, so like different cultures had different little pieces. So I wanted to say, well, you know, like the Kitsune, everything about them is myth because they actually can use their tails to wrap around them to become anybody else they want to. Hmm. So they can, so they're the ultimate con artist because they can turn themselves into anybody they want to if they've had time to get ready. And so, you know, so they basically seed everything with lies because the only way you can find them is by seeing them in their, in their natural state, which they never are because they, they're always in camouflage as some other creature. I could see how that would be useful if you're planning a heist. I would definitely want to have that adventure in my party. Yep. 
And so she and she's a great character, but you know, she's paranoid. They are kill on sight. The hidden people don't want them around because they are too easy to to fall prey to. And so um they're you know nature's you know ultimate con artists, you know, in, in the world. So the the nine tail fox is you know they can have up to nine tails as they get older they get more tails and so younger ones um salai the kitsune only has seven tails she hasn't fully matured yet she's still learning and growing as are the rest of them so it just it gave it an extra bend of it made it different than any other heist book that you read because you know even the people that they're dealing with don't really know what they bring to the table I love it. And you said it's the dragon that's bringing them together. Yeah. In um, Hub, everything is ruled by 13 dragon clans. And they vary across the board. Um, the blue dragons um, are Chinese-based dragons. The uh, main uh, dragon that you deal with is um, goes by Ansep. And he's got electric blue mohawk and wears a Hugo Boss suit. And so... But uh, the dragons molt, so they start off as as whelplings or, or hatchlings, and they're little dragons, and then they molt into like almost a human form, and then they molt into like these large, you know, human forms, and then they actually go through a. There's um, three elders for each clan, and so when one elder passes, they molt another one from their human form into their full dragon form, so that. At, by, at the end, they are the full dragon that you would normally expect. So there's a lot of world building, it seems to me, that has gone into this book. Mm -hmm. um, both, you know, developing these different characters, researching where these different mythological creatures come from, and then devising how this, this world is put together. Um, can you talk a little bit about the process of building that world and what you did to put all of the pieces together to form the setting for the heist. Sure. So the so basically it started with Gelsey, um, my pixie. She was kind of she's the not really the ringleader. She's the one who brings them all together. And so then it started like I started looking at the standard roles. You know, I love leverage, um, the TV show. So I was like, okay, I need to at least have you know. So like Salai would be. Oh, what's her face? Sophie and Kelsey mm -hmm. uh, would be Parker, you know. So, but then I was like, well, if we're in a fantasy world, you have to have a mage. And so I started piecing together like hacker was kind of my most standard, you know, class. And so I was like, well, that he can be an elf because that's you know the least interesting of the of the <laughs> characters. And the you know personally for me the most interesting of a computer programmer. But you know for the but he's kind of, you know, it's kind of a generic thing. But as I started looking at what traits would this person have to be? So like my trader, um, you know, is the Elhardrin, which, you know, they can beguile people. So that's a really handy trick when you're trying to trade people, you know. So, you know, she can actually, you know, um, hypnotize people into taking deals and stuff like that. So... I was going to say, I feel like I have some items on my bookshelf that I purchased from book from authors and vendors at cons that might have had some of those same talents. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, how did I end up with this? I have no idea. They just, they all appeared in my bag, hon. That, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Damn it, Akila. Stop <laughs> making you buy books. So, um, 
so it just became you know so it was kind of like like you know my merc i wanted somebody who's physically imposing so you know um lorkin is uh Nagulin, which is the shape of a man but he's colored in he's got claws like a jaguar so his head is jaguar face but he's built like a human um with a tail so it was just like okay so that's a really imposing strong figure for him so he's the the muscle whereas the thief you know being six centimeters high you can get into places that nobody thinks to to guard um it just kind of was a lot of give and take because i i started off with a list of probably about 40 different characters different races that i could that i thought were viable you know for the first book and then uh, once i kind of had it cut down i finally kind of moved the pieces around till i had the six I wanted to use. And then it was a lot of like, well, how do, you know, the dragon clans work? What are all, and so I've got all the rules and stuff built out um, in my book Bible so that I know like, you know, you have to do this, you, you know, they expect the only rule in um, hub is never steal from dragons. Um, and Gelsey will tell you that rule number two is uh, read rule number one and uh, rule number three is never work for dragons. And by the end of the first chapter, she's doing all three. So <laughs> which is where the which is where the title came from but the world building was um a lot of it was kind of cyberpunk i loved Shadowrun as a kid um so there were some influences from that there's some you know blade runner you know just all the cyber neuromancer there's a lot of cyberpunk aspects but i kind of blended the two trying to make a much uh, more unique world to live in and play in than you would normally find in a science fiction fantasy book so tell me a little bit, if you can, without spoilers, tell me a little bit about the villain, the antagonist. Do we find out about them early or are they later on in the book? They So the, the book kicks off with Gelsey is doing a, a smash and grab job for a piece of nanotech that somebody wants. But there's clan guards in this low district warehouse and she's like, this can't be good. So she dodges them, gets into where she's supposed to steal it, and falls through the air vent and finds herself face-to-face -face with Ancept the dragon. Oh, that's awesome. And so it's that's where it starts off. And so Ancept is hiring her to do the to bring everybody together to pull this heist off. And so in but at the beginning of the book, they don't know anything about it. You know, she she's the messenger. She doesn't even she's giving out memory sticks to people to with the job offer doesn't know what they're on what's on them and so she she's like i'm just gathering people you'll have to take it up with with the dragon if you want to know what the deal is so you don't she doesn't really have a choice her only choice is to flee and hope they don't hunt her down well it definitely sounds like i said the title is very appealing that opening that setting up the character with this almost impossible task sounds really appealing and I am very much looking forward to reading it. Um, and before I ask you where people can find you online, where they can find the book, I also wanted to ask you about the dragons that I have seen you sell at conventions. Where did they come from? I know your press is Distracted Dragon Press, yeah. so tell me a little bit about those. So um, I'm avid 3D printer. I really love, that's a, my hobby. And so I have three printers and my wife was kind of like, you know, she's like, I know you do a lot of stuff with this. So, you know, are you actually going to 
you know, like make anything, you know, other than like trinkets and stuff. And so I was like, I was like, well, you know, um, and at the time, the big rage was the articulating dragons and MacGyver, um, the designer had them all over the place. I mean, everybody was on TikTok with them. And so um, I printed them out for my friends and I posted a couple pictures on Facebook and people were like, oh my God, I want one. And I was like, okay. So I started, you know, making them and sending them to my friends as gifts. And then people were just like constantly. So I, so I reached out to the designer and said, hey, you know, can I license, you know, get a license for these? And he said, no, because I'm trying to keep them just to like four shops on Etsy while well, there's like 80 shops selling them on Etsy. And so I said, well, all I want is an in-person license. So he gave me a license to sell at conventions. So I print them and I do all sorts of colors. I mean, everything under the rainbow plus some, but they're just, you know, they're on brand, you know, Distracted Dragon, but people just love them. And it's, and it's just great because it's so much fun to watch um, people. I was at Con Carolinas and I walked down, Artist Alley opened at like 10 and I walked down like 8.30 just to set up the table and, you know, because I had an early panel and I walked down and there's six women standing there at my table. And I'm like, hi. And they're like, can we see the dragons? And I was like, yes. So I had two tubs of them. So I set them on the floor and took the lids off and I started going about my business. And I look over and they're sitting in a semicircle and they have all the dragons spread out across the floor. And they're all like, I think I might get this one. No, I don't want this. One. Oh, look at this one. And it was just like, and they were just all so happy. And just it was just awesome. I'm like, how, you know, how much better can it be? You know, to, you know it's like just bring joy over something, you know, as simple as a 3D printed toy. Um, but people just adore them. And so they've just been great. And it's, you know, it just gives you another avenue, you know, as an author, it's just nice to have something to break the ice when you're talking to people. And so that's a great icebreaker. They come up, they love the dragon, then they ask questions about them or they ask about the books or whatever. And so um, sometimes they buy a dragon, sometimes they buy a book, sometimes they buy both, sometimes they buy nothing. It's just, it's just fun. And it, you know, and it keeps my printers running and then I can, you know, I'm not getting yelled at for having 75 rolls of filament in the basement. <laughs> well, uh, as we were saying earlier, I love the dragon that I got from you and I'm constantly retrieving it from my children who also love it and want it to be theirs. <laughs> so, but uh, again, I want to thank you for coming on, talking about the book, talking about the dragons. If people are interested, where can they find you online? Where can they find the book online? So they can find me at patrickdugan.net. Um, and there's links to my uh, Etsy store where you can buy a dragon if you're looking for one. Um, you can find all my books uh, through um, Amazon. Um, so it will be right now, it's going to be ebook, hardcover, and paperback. And But I've already got uh, a narrator set up for the audiobook, which hopefully will be coming out this summer. So um that's the easiest place to find, you know, the books are on Amazon. Me is at patrickdugan.net. Looking forward to reading the book and thank you once again for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Can't wait to see you again. Absolutely. And that wraps up this week's episode of On the Shelf, A Writer Reads. Thanks so much for sticking through, for coming back, uh, for the folks who are liking and subscribing, following, uh, leaving uh, reviews, uh, giving us five stars on Apple Podcasts. 
I really appreciate it. Um, this podcast is a lot of fun for me. I'm enjoying not just having a vehicle to think deeply about the books that I'm reading and then also to explore what it means to be a reader, but I'm also having a lot of fun talking to my writing colleagues about their books, uh, like I just did with Patrick Dugan. So thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, either emailing me or interacting in the Facebook group. I really appreciate it. This past week was Retcon, and uh, it was kind of an experiment, the live from Retcon bonus episode that I did. At the end of March, I will be going to Scares That Care AuthorCon in Virginia, and that is a horror literature-focused event. It should be so much fun. I am looking forward to it. I love hanging out with horror fans, horror writers, horror readers. It's it's going to be a great time. If you would like to come on by, I will put the link in the show notes. I highly recommend it. Like I said, I will be there. And uh, maybe I'll even get some bonus episode uh, footage goodness. I say footage. It's not really footage. This is a podcast. Anyway, <laughs> I'll probably be doing some bonus recording and sharing some of the vibe of that. So yes, Scares That Care Author Con in Virginia, 31 March to April 2nd. Come on down. It should be a good time. In the meantime, like I said, thank you so much for listening. I am going to go, maybe I'm going to go read a book. I think that's probably going to be a, a good thing. I'm going to go grab a book. I'm going to go read a book. In the meantime, I hope you have a great week and I will see you next week on the shelf. You have been listening to an episode of On the Shelf, A Writer Reads. This has been a Devil Tree production. All the books mentioned in the podcast can be found in the series notes. If you would like to help make this show happen, you can tip me on my coffee page, follow me on Facebook and Instagram, or simply like, subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Thanks for listening, and see you next week on The Shelf.